Well, we're in the season called Pentecost from the time of Pentecost Sunday until the last Sunday of the church year, which is Christ the King Sunday. Then we go into Advent and start the the drama, rehearsing that drama all over again in the life of Christ. Uh, When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he came to live within his children, the children of God. So we're looking at what life looks like when we invite Jesus to be Lord, when through surrender and cooperation, we give the Holy Spirit unqualified permission to be fully operative in our lives. Last week, we looked at at life, what it looks like when uh, we're being transformed from me to you. And this week, we're going to look at it from the perspective of slave or servant to child. We went to our son and daughter-in-law's house uh, in Columbus for Father's Day, and we kept our grandkids the next day. As, as they both worked. And so my almost six, six-year-old grandson, Andrew, uh, loves to ride his bicycle. So I like to ride bikes too. So we left the house to go for a, a three-hour bike ride down on Olentangy River Trail and back. And so our journey began at the house because uh, we were left with no car seat to, to be able to transport him. So we had to make the best of the situation. And so we left the house and, and relying on Andrew's memory, uh, we began our, our journey with Andrew leading the way, so we went out of their development out onto Stauffer Road, and we made a right, we went down to the next intersection, we made a, another right onto McVeigh Street or Road, whatever it's called, and uh, uh, we got a little little way down that road, and Andrew's Papa, that's, that's where I want to go to school next year, I think we, we go back there. So we, we went through the, the parking lot of the school, and sure enough, in the back of the school, we ended up into, into a housing development. And so we're riding around that housing development trying to find the road down to, to the Olentangy River Trail. And so we ride around. I said, Andrew, I think we missed it. And uh, he goes, yeah. His mind was getting foggy. He says, I can't remember. I said, well, you know, there, there was a street sign back there that, that uh, may be a hint to, maybe we should have turned down that. It said, Troon Trail Court. I think, I think maybe we should have gone down there. So sure enough, we turn around and we, we, uh, we go down that street, and it was the right street. Well, the whole time we're riding our bicycles, Andrew is saying things like, my daddy says it's okay to go this way, and my daddy says to be safe here at this intersection, Papa, he always reminds me to look both ways. So the whole time we're on our bike ride, my, my daddy said this, and my, my daddy did that, and so we come to this extremely steep section of the trail, with a very sharp curve at the bottom. And the asphalt trail was wet because of the dew and it rained slightly. And, and as I rode down the trail, I heard Andrew say, he was behind me, say, Papa, wait on me when you get down there. My daddy says, this is dangerous. And so he always has me get off my bike and walk it down this trail because it's dangerous. It's, it's, it's a lot safer, Papa, to, to ride. So wait on me when you get down the bottom of the trail. Now, you don't have to be around Andrew very long before you discover he loves and trusts and respects his daddy. To our grandson, his daddy represents all that is perfect, all that is right, all that is safe, all that is loving and comforting. And as I experienced that time with Andrew, and and as I thought about it since then, God has used that time with him to speak to me about my relationship with my heavenly father. Have you ever had a DTR? DTR means define the relationship moment. (laughs) 
In, in most relationships, there's that, that, that awkward season when each person starts to feel something more, but neither wants to be the first to admit it. So finally, a time comes when you simply must have a DTR. You got to have that. Let's define the relationship moment in conversation. And from the moment you have that DTR, the relationship changes. It either goes up or down. The pace quickens or it slows. You look at the other person differently. You talk to them differently. And if the relationship moves forward, you, you move from knowing about that person to really knowing them. And I think there, there's such a thing as a, a DTR moment with God. We and I'm calling it this morning, that moment in our lives is from slave or servant to child. It's a fundamental change in the way we see ourselves and a way we relate to God. After our, our DTR with God, the, the pace of our Christian life changes. We look at God differently. We, we talk to God differently. We start taking ownership in the way that we that God looks and, and, and feels to us. We move from knowing about God to, to knowing God. And as we continue, and we'll be looking at the life of the disciples over the, the next five weeks, we, we find one of those define the relationship moments in, in Mark chapter nine. Now, in that chapter, we, we see the transfiguration of Jesus. We see uh, Jesus healing a boy possessed by an impure spirit. And for the second time, he talks about his his death that's coming to his disciples. And, and in the middle of all this, his disciples were arguing who was going to be the greatest among them. Jesus is trying to pour his heart out to his friends and say, here's what's coming. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And then Jesus moves on to Judea where the Jews test him by asking him questions related to the law. And that, that time it was specifically about divorce but in this context, in, in Mark chapter 10 there, beginning with verse 13, it tells us people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Matthew puts it a little differently. Matthew 18, verses 3 to 5, and he says, At that time, in verses 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowest, the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes this child is the greatest. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus was telling them that that they had to change and become something different. Jesus told the disciples who had now followed him for two full years that they still had to change. And it's even a message that the most devout among us need to be reminded of and we need to hear. In fact, Paul, Paul picks up on, on that theme a bit in Galatians 4. And he's talking specifically in that situation about people who are slaves to the law. And here's what he says, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, 
born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we've been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you're now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you're not a slave? You're not just a servant, but a child. And if you are a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. Jesus never told us to act like children, even though we do sometimes. We all are guilty of that, I think. Instead, he told us to become like children. He he was describing something deeper than virtue, our our very nature and way of approaching God. He, He said, unless they changed and became like children, the very disciples who had been following and obeying him for two years still might miss what the kingdom of God is about. And when asking Jesus how they should pray, how should frail, fragile creation address the creator and sustainer of all things, the holy, majestic God? And Jesus tells his disciples, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven how would be your name? This got Jesus into trouble. How dare you, Jesus, to address Almighty God as Father? You just don't do that, especially in his religious culture. Jesus is telling his disciples there's something beyond just discipleship. He was telling them to become like children as though that was more than, than even being a disciple. Once again, Jesus and the disciples were on two different tracks. They had two different minds. The disciples were worried that the children were getting in the way. In the way. <clears throat> and Jesus was worried that the disciples were not like children. The shift from following Jesus to loving Jesus is a shift from slave or servant to child. And when you make that shift, life will change. Implicate, what are the implications of being a slave? This is a, a, this is a message I've had to preach to myself over and over because I grew up in a home where my primary emotion and toward my father was one of fear. I grew up in a church where the emphasis was on the law and it suffered a little bit, at least in my perspective, whether it's true or not, that's the perspective I received. And so I, I keep preaching this message to myself through, through the months and, and through the years. I have to remind myself that I'm a child of God, not just his servant, but his child, with all the rights and privileges therein of being his child. While every generation tries to avoid mistakes of the past, each is just as skilled in inventing new forms of slavery. For instance, one generation will focus on, on rules and become legalistic, while the next will abandon the rules altogether and get caught up in hedonism with its addictions and its love of pleasure. One generation is addicted to their performance. Everything has to be perfect. And the next generation defies that and becomes addicted to entitlements. I deserve. I deserve this. I deserve that. My son teaches volleyball and he's a little frustrated with this idea of entitlement and he's had some problems this year with a senior who thinks she ought to play just because she's a senior. <laughs> not because she comes and works hard, 
Not because she has the right attitude, but she's entitled just because, and of course, that has been filtered down from the parents. Here's some uh, modern forms of slavery I've seen in my ministry. There's slavery to rules. God is the mighty police officer who is looking for a reason to billy club me into subjection and ultimately hell. And as long as we serve God and cannot love him as a father, we are slaves, good slaves, but still slaves. Secondly, there's, there's a slavery to other people's expectations. What other people think of us and expect of us dominate us. In his book, Abba's Child, Brennan Manning called these people imposters. And here's what he wrote in page 34. Imposters are preoccupied with acceptance and approval. Because of their suffocating need to please others, they cannot say no with the same confidence with which they say yes. And so they overextend themselves in people projects and causes motivated not by personal commitment, but by the fear of not living up to others' expectations. Then there's slavery to addictions. What starts out as as recreation or pleasure or pain relief becomes addiction. We start out seeking pleasure, then we end up needing it. Every pleasure is a foretaste of freedom and joy, but it's fleeting and it makes us want more. Then there's slavery to perfection. Nothing can ever be wrong with me. I I never can mess up. I, I, I can't do wrong. I don't do wrong. And that person never admits their part in failure. So that person can never experience God's grace and mercy. I've met people that are slaves to imperfection. It's the person who says, I've messed up my life so bad that I'm not worthy of his grace. I'm not worthy of his mercy. So I'll just follow at a distance and and I'll just be a second class citizen. I'll just be a slave. I'll just be a servant. I don't deserve to be called a son or a daughter. And I'm sure you can think of other forms of slavery and uh, just spend a few moments when you can thinking about what it would be like to be an authentic child of God, what it's like. Here here are these forms of of slavery holding us back. What would it take to be a genuine, to view ourselves primarily as a child of God? What would your life look like if you were primarily motivated by, not by have-tos or ought-tos, but your trust and love for your heavenly father. How do you re- relate primarily to God? Do you bind obedience? I'm going to do it because that's the rules. Loyalty? I don't want to disappoint mom or dad or grandpa or grandma. I'll just continue to let their faith be, be my faith. You operate by fear. You're afraid of going to hell. Now, there's nothing wrong with starting there. <laughs> I got saved at the age of eight in a revival service by John L. Knight because I was afraid of going to hell. But guess what? It didn't stay there. Uh, Dennis Kenlaw says, no matter what the reason you come to the Lord, to Jesus, he never disappoints us. <laughs> he always gives us more than we long for or bargain for. Yeah, I came to an altar of prayer and invited Christ to my life because I didn't want to go to hell. I was eight years old, man, it scared me to death. But I, it didn't stay there, that Fear, fear, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting there, but fear is not a good long-term motivator, but love is. 
that fear of going to hell turned into a love for my heavenly father and for his son, Jesus Christ. How about living as a second-class citizen? Uh, is that how you relate to God because you don't deserve any better? You'll, you'll just be a servant instead of a child since I've messed up my life so bad? How about in your mind? I know people who live life in their mind. They're, they're so smart. And you know all the answers up here. And you agree with them, but it never works its way out into your life. You give mental assent to truth, and you'll fight to the death to defend that, but you've never let it transform you. I know people who approach the word like that. They approach the word and get weapons so they can argue with other people, whereas the living word of God is meant to bring transformation to our lives. They adhere to a propositional truth that the word may present, and they'll fight for it to the death. But they miss that God's living word is not meant to be read just like any other textbook. We don't teach it just like any other material. It's meant to transform us. It was inspired on the front end by the Holy Spirit, and it can jump off the page and, and change our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit on this end. God's word is primarily met, meant to transform us. You see, relationship with Jesus is not just following, it's, it's actually family. When, when we live that way, we see God differently. We see ourselves and we see others differently. How would your life be different if you were motivated, not just as a follower, but as family? I believe our worship would have even been a little different this morning. What, what, what if I could continually have the same mindset toward God as my grandson has towards his father? What if my heavenly father represented all that is perfect and right and holy and safe and loving and comforting? What if that defined my primary way of relating to God? How would that change our marriage or your singleness or your relationship to your children, your grandchildren, your friends, yourself? And Jesus answers the question his disciples were asking themselves he said who's the greatest among us and Jesus said the one who's the greatest is the one who welcomes a child in my name remember these are guys who have left it all to follow Jesus for two years their families their jobs their friends and when we believe following is all there is just going to church just reading the bible just going through the motions when we think this is as good as it gets we're done and that's true of all of our relationships whether it's our relationship with God or our marriage or our children or our friendships, when we think that's all there is, this is as good as it gets, then we're done. God's plan is that we primarily relate to him as father and that we become like our heavenly father. In his relationship to his father, Andrew is becoming like his father. Every now and then on that bike expedition, he would turn around and say to me, are you doing okay, Papa? Now, Papa, if this next hill is, is too steep for you, I mean, do I look that old? Do I look that decrepit? <laughs> Papa, if this next hill is, is too steep for you, you, you can get off and you can push it all the way up the hill. Now, my daddy, he was able, he was able to ride the bike all the way to the top. Now, I almost made it, 
but I had to get off and push my bike the last few feet. But, but if you want to, Papa, you can walk yours all the way up the hill. <laughs> Some of you got ripped off when it comes to earthly fathers. And I acknowledge that. And I'm sorry. But if your earthly father is getting in the way of embracing, of you embracing God as your heavenly father, then you need to get over it. You need to see he's the standard by which we measure fatherhood. And I say that with as much love and respect as I can because I too have been trying to get over it for 64 years. We can no longer allow a a crappy earthly father to get in the way of of a loving heavenly father. Now, there are no magic formulas how you shift from slave to child, from servant to God. I think it's a continual process. Once we invite him into our lives and we invite the Holy Spirit into every room to help us, to reveal truth to us. And I know we can't, we can't force intimacy, but there are some ways we can move from being a slave or a servant to child. First of all, hang around people who live as children. The healthier the community, the church to which we belong, the easier it is to make that shift. Secondly, practice listening to your Heavenly Father's voice. Now, this is a hard one because I'm, I'm task-oriented. <laughs> you know, I want instructions. Let's go. The moment my feet hit the floor, you know, I want to I start moving. You know, take up the Word of God and read it carefully. God has already spoken to us. Loud and clear. The Bible is the love letter to us from our Heavenly Father. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Internalize it. Create some space in your life for spending time reading the Bible slowly. Don't try to see how much you can read and rush through it. Start with a story, for instance, of the prodigal son. And ask yourself in that story, which character am I? The one who left or the one who stayed home? For both are forms of slavery. Read it slowly until something hits you and then stop. One year as I was using the read through the Bible, uh, there's an edition of the Bible that's divided up to read it through. And I thought, I'm just not going to rush. And and as I read slowly, I I tried to highlight those, those things that just jumped out at me. And meditated on those and thought about those and More often than not, it was something I needed for that day or for the next week. No agenda, no goal of how much to read, just what does my father want to say to me? Just be with your dad. What if you believe that everything your heavenly father revealed to you in his word was for your protection and for your provision? It was for your spiritual safety and your lifelong and eternal enjoyment even the things we don't like to hear is for our good. Practice speaking to your father. You know, we all tend to approach God with our list of things we need for ourselves and other people, but learn to grow in your conversation with God, expressing your love and trust. Just as you receive notes and texts and cards from your children, for us, it's now our grandchildren. They're splattered all over the front of our refrigerator, things they've drawn, cards we've got from them. Just as you receive those 
notes and texts. Think of your time with the Heavenly Father as little notes that you're leaving around telling your father how much you love him. Here are some good image contrasts of our time with God. Is it a cup of coffee or is it a GPS? <laughs> Ask him for directions. Let's go, God. Is it communing or commuting? Is it a fireplace or a fire truck? Is it relationship or an agenda? You know, we're so busy sometimes asking for things that we, we neglect building that relationship. Work on building that relationship. Stuff will take care of itself. Hang around healthy people who live as if God is their heavenly father. Listen to your father. Speak to your father. The prodigal son wanted his share of the inheritance and did everything to say to his father, basically, I wish you were dead. In that culture, that's what he did say to his father. He went off to a a far country and he squandered his wealth. And I love that phrase because I pray this for people. God, bring them to their senses. In that whole drama, it says he came to his senses. Lord, help him to come to their senses. And as a result of coming to his senses, he decided to go back home to the farm because dad's servants were living better than him. And if he was lucky, his father would allow him to return as a servant. And he had no expectations of ever being reinstated as a son. Very deliberately, the prodigal son began to recite and to rehearse the lines he must have practiced all the way back to the farm. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father Hardly heard him. Before the prodigal could finish his line, (laughs) the treat me like one of your hired hands part of it, the father ordered the slaves to bring out the family robe, to fetch the signet ring, to put sandals on the boy's feet, kill the fattened calf. Then the father uttered words the prodigal could never have dreamed. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The beautiful story of the prodigal son is about forgiveness and second chances, but inside this is a plot even more beautiful. It's the story of a traveler very far from home who longs to come back as a slave, but instead is granted every privilege of a child It's about more than forgiveness. It's about what Henry Nowen calls a second childhood. Here's what he writes in one of his books. He says, there's something in us humans that keeps us clinging to our sins and prevents us from letting God erase our past and offer us a completely new beginning. While God wants to restore me to the full dignity of being a son or daughter, I keep insisting that I will settle for being a hired servant. But do I truly want to be restored to the full responsibility of the son? Do I want to be so totally forgiven that a completely new way of living becomes possible? Jesus asked the question of a man before he healed him, do you want to be healed? It's an appropriate question to ask now. 
This, this new way of life, this restored status of child of God equips us to let and requires us to let go of who we've become in order to become what we might have been. Now one continues, he says, receiving forgiveness requires a total willingness to let God be God and do all the healing, restoring, and renewing. As long as I want to do even a part of that myself, I end up with partial solutions such as becoming a hired servant. As a hired servant, I can still keep my distance. As a servant, I can still revolt, reject, As a servant, I can go on strike or run away or complain about my pay. As the beloved son, I have to claim my full dignity and begin preparing myself to become a father. When we shift from slave to child, a very different perspective on God begins to emerge in our hearts. Fear is eclipsed by intimacy. We learn not only to obey God, but also to love God. We no longer hide from God as Adam and Eve did in the garden. We confide in God. God is not merely a judge with a law to be obeyed. God is a father with a heart and a way to be imitated. As a six-year-old child, my grandson looks to his dad as a dad with a heart and a way to be imitated. It's amazing how we become like our parents. You've seen those commercials. I think they're Geico commercials. Oh my, you're becoming your dad. <laughs> uh, our son used to, depending on what sport he was, he was watching, if it was golf, he'd go get his golf club. And he'd bring his balls out and he'd be putting around in the, you know, he'd be putting around in the living room as he watched golf. It was football, he'd go get his football. He'd, he'd you know, throw his football around while the football game went on. It was baseball, he'd go get his little helmets. We had a collection of helmets. I think they served Sundays in them or, or something. And he'd, he'd line all these helmets across the mantle as he watched that baseball game. And as I, in this phase of our lives, as we watch our, our, our grandchildren, and I, I see <laughs> Andrew do the same things. Andrew's in the NASCAR. He goes and gets all these Hot Wheels, he lines them up as he watches NASCAR. He's got his favorite drivers. I I see him imitating and becoming like his father. You know, when we're in love with our father and we respect our father and we look to our father for comfort and joy and trust, we become, we, we begin imitating that which we love. My call to preach was affirmed during a sermon by Dennis Kinlaw at a pastors and leadership conference at Mount Vernon Nazarene College. He's a great thinker. He's a wonderful expositor of the word. He's a great example of someone who lives his life primarily as a child of God. And here's what Dennis writes. He says, the relationship of every child to every parent is a reflection of the relationship between the first and the second persons of the Holy Trinity. Indeed, every family on earth is a replica, some good, others bad, of the kind of relationship our Father wants to have with us. Other models are beneath his dream, less than the best. He wants us to be his children, not just servants or slaves. In his book, Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway 
wrote about a father in Spain who had a son named Paco. And because of his son's rebellion, Paco and his father were estranged. They had separated ways. The father was bitter and he was angry with his son and he kicked him out of the house. And so after years of bitterness, the father's anger finally subsided and ended. He realized his mistake and he began to look for Paco with no results. Finally, in desperation, the father placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and the ad read, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. Paco is a rather common name in Spanish. And Hemingway wrote that when the father arrived the next morning, there were 600 young men named Paco waiting and hoping to receive their father's forgiveness. This is how God wants us to come to him. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you're wounded. Maybe you're scarred. Maybe it's hard for you to grasp what a loving father looks like. Maybe he hasn't fixed you. Or maybe you've forced your image of an earthly father onto God. But while you protest, he carries you and patiently waits for you to come home just as the father waited on the prodigal son to come to his senses in Luke 15. I read a book by a man who spent 50 years of his life in Mideastern culture, not only as an academic person, but also trying to understand the culture. And he has a, he has a book on just the prodigal son. He talks about all the cultural rules that were broken by the father to express his love for his son. And there were many of them, and I don't, this is, that's another sermon. Aren't you thankful? We won't go there this morning. <laughs> but the father broke every, about, just about every taboo there was in that culture for an older man to express his love to his son. Aren't you thankful we're reminded this morning that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were in rebellion against him, he sent his son to die on the cross, and we see on that cross God expressing his love. He demonstrates his love. He just doesn't say, I love you, in the word. He expressed his love through that awful, awful death of Jesus, his son. Folks, I don't know what impressions you may have received, but take time to write those impressions down that you've received during this sermon and that the Holy Spirit is implanted on your heart. In the days ahead, ask yourself the questions, how might I live more as a child than a slave? Father, you've revealed yourself to us in so many ways. You've you've revealed yourself to us in the book of creation. The psalmist reminds us the heavens declare your glory. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Day by day, they pour forth speech. Night by night, they display knowledge. You've revealed yourself to us through your word. When you came as a creator God to Adam and Eve, as you fellowshiped with them on a daily basis, and when they turned their back on you and went their own way, they broke relationship, and you began searching for them. And you come down and said, where are you, Adam? You've revealed yourself to us, Lord, through the prophets. You've revealed yourself to us through the law, through Moses and Father, you've revealed yourself to us most specifically 
through Jesus Christ, your son, who is the living word, who demonstrates to us the great love you have for us. And Lord, whatever it is that we may be slaves to, Lord, you've come to set us free. And may we allow you to do that in our lives so that we can indeed, as the apostle said, those who are free are free indeed. May we generally experience freedom in our lives this week in just another measure, another way that we haven't before because we've looked to ourselves more as servants than slaves than we have as children of a heavenly father. Thank you for your patience with us and for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the lessons you teach us just in daily living, just as you spoke to me through this bicycle trip with my grandson, Lord. You, you use, you're not limited. You're the most versatile personality in the whole universe. You use your word, Lord. You use our time with brothers and sisters in Christ. You use our discussions about you and the word. You use movies. You use books that we read. You use music. You're not limited, Lord, into how you speak to us. So speak your word to us this week. We give you permission to do that. We will embrace it because we want to be free indeed. We pray all this in your son's name. Jesus, our friend, our savior, our Lord, our coming king. Amen. Amen. Amen.